Hi and welcome to Home Education for All, or HEFA for short. At HEFA, we believe that community is the heart of home education, and so that's what we built. We built a community in the UK, helping, supporting and uplifting each other to be the best home educators we can be. And now we're coming to you via this podcast too. Stay tuned for all things home education in the UK via our amazing, experienced, knowledgeable and often hilarious team. We truly believe home education can be for everyone and we hope listening here will give you the confidence or knowledge you need if you've been considering home education. Let's dive in. Heifer podcast. So this week we are talking about one of the probably most popular things that people ask us questions about on Heifer and it's help. My child won't do anything. Um, This week I am joined by one of our newer admin, Natalia. Hello, Natalia. Hello. Hello. Um, So Natalia is up in Scotland and uh, home ed's a little one. Um, how old is little one? Um, he's six, seven in August. Fantastic. So he's a little, little one. <laughs> he he would not be happy if you said that. <laughs> I, I doubt he would. Um, <laughs> my youngest is uh, nearly 10 and we're not allowed to use the word little around him, um, despite that he is the youngest. Uh, I, I, I mean, he's only one currently, but I am not allowed to say little. And definitely not the baby. Okay. (laughs) Um, So you, uh, how long have you been home educating? Um, Since the Christmas break. Okay, fantastic. Um, So your child did go to school and is no longer in school and is home educated? Yes. So he didn't go to like the mainstream schools. He went for a term to Montessori independent local one. Okay. And that didn't work for him as um, he's got a PDA profile. So uh, we thought it could, uh, but that even that didn't really agree with him. Right. Okay. Um, so this is one of the reasons that I invited you onto the podcast this week is because um, a lot of the, the questions that we get from parents, they tend to be um, from children who are um, from parents of children who are autistic or they're ADHD or they are autistic with a PDA profile, like all of these kinds of um, neurodivergent uh, happenings, which can lead to making um, home ed more challenging if those Mm. parents aren't quite sure how to go forward with things, if that makes sense. It makes loads of sense. And honestly, um, I kind of got to grips with it, but we still get it wrong on a fairly regular basis. There is a huge side of it that's very much about all the other demands and things that kind of pile up and suddenly you're faced with things that normally are okay, aren't okay anymore, and you're completely blindsided by it. So I completely get that. Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense. So um when I posted in group about um, this podcast this week and asked if anyone had any questions, 
Americans. Um, it was quite possibly one of the uh, <laughs> most popular um, posts for the podcast so far. Um, <laughs> I had a lot of um, sort of uh, questions around, um, you know, for the first few weeks, things were great, but now I've got a child who won't sit down and do any work. Um, I've got a child that um, attends online lessons, but doesn't actually engage in those lessons, doesn't take notes, doesn't learn anything from them, um, was previously enthusiastic, but now only wants to play computer games. Um, these are all really, really common um, to me, really common um, examples of um, children who are decompressing and adjusting to this new way of going forward without school. Yeah. Um, how was it for you when, um, so obviously your little one went to a Montessori, which which already is very child-centred. Um, how how was it for them uh, trans, um, oh, what's the word? Transitioning. There we go. <laughs> Transitioning to home ed. Um, for us, it was a bit different because... I realized fairly early on that even like when he was starting nursery or maybe even earlier that he's not one to actually follow instruction. Uh, he's yeah. not one to sit down with anything. And we were lacking with the local nursery that it was rebellion based. Um, so they were very much following the kids lead. Um, so he never was really in an environment that was forcing him to do things. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he is extremely headstrong. And there was no option of actually sitting him down to do things. Like, I can suggest that, oh, maybe we would do some reading. And it's a no. Yeah. And I know that the only outcome of pushing that no is going to be um, a meltdown or more reactivity and nothing getting done at all. So you kind of constantly have to pivot around this. Yeah, and work on a daily basis with what you've got. For some days, you could suggest it and it can be okay. And then other days, it's a complete no. Um, so we kind of stepped straight into being extremely child-led with, like, I know there's no point sitting him in front of the online class because he will not engage. We tried that in lockdown and it was absolutely not interest, of no interest to him. Yeah. But I can sit him with a YouTube video and yeah. if it's something he's interested in, we're going to find out within half an hour that the universe is going to finish in like five billion years and everything being cold and miserable and absolutely nothing left. And I think they're getting more and more depressed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel you on that one. Uh, that happens a lot in my house. I get told all about these kinds of things and go, thanks for that. <laughs> Um, it, it, it feels sometimes like the mistake I did going to a local uh, earth <laughs> center type thing and they've got the yeah. video uh, about what's inside the earth and you find out that you're sitting basically on a giant dormant volcano <gasps> that when it blows up the whole planet goes and it's oh like, my I did not need that did not need that no um, yeah, but it's very much this kind of thing. So when there is something he's interested in, we just follow that interest until he has enough. Yeah. Um, and explore it and are very hands-on. And 
I think possibly because we've never done the school bit really and we are coming straight from early years and always supporting his learning. It's just not that different because you're just still exploring the hands-on stuff and uh, we've been doing pottery yesterday. Um, yeah, does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah. It makes complete sense. Um it's it's very much um i was thinking about this earlier because i was writing um a piece on on some stuff to do with unschooling and um i was thinking about it earlier that it's very very easy um to kind of go from either early years into home ed or um from a younger age into home ed mm. um, and i don't even think it's because they've been in school for less time it almost feels like it's because we're expected to play with younger children yeah and i think it's also the fact that we are expecting that this is what they do once yeah. you hit the more of the school age you hit the more your own mindset is very much they're meant to sit at a desk and they're meant to be reading to learn they're meant to be doing uh, five million repeats of a mathematical equation to be able to do that equation proficiently. So it's almost yep. our own programming that we're fighting with here, not even necessarily them. I think they're kind of almost instinctively reverting to how it's meant to be. It's yeah. just we have to catch up. Yeah, and we have to catch up, exactly. Um, so this is something that I hear about a lot is, you know, children, of they'll leave school um, to become home educated and they'll want sometimes these children will actually ask their parents please can we do it as close to school as 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 it mm -hmm. can be you know I want to have a timetable I want this I want that and the issue with that is home is not school there aren't mm -hmm. especially for secondary school um, age children you see a different teacher for each subject. You are moving around the school. You're seeing different people in different um, contexts and, and all of these kinds of things in a school environment. And at home, it's not the same. Um, and you don't have uh, the teacher at the front teaching a group. You have um, your parent with you one-to-one. -one. And it's, it's just not the same. Um, yeah. While these children might engage uh, very readily for a few weeks, it's not going to be long for most of them, especially if they've come out because they've had difficulties in school. Mm. It won't be long before they start to go, do you know what, this isn't working for me. Yeah. And I think there's also, it's been something I've been exploring because, as you'll know, with PDA, there is this thing of the, almost like a clash between needing some sort of structure but the moment the structure becomes too obtrusive let's say um, yeah. there's resistance against it and I've kind of been exploring in my head the concept of like different types of structures and school comes with the structure of lesson move over to the next lesson move over to the next lesson kind of built in like you don't even need the timetable the timetable tells you the order Yes. But the structure of what happens is built in. Yeah. Home doesn't have that structure unless, I guess, you start moving from one spot to another every X amount of time. But then it doesn't have the 
interaction between kids, interaction between teacher and different groups. So the dynamic is completely different. And I think to maintain that level of rigidity and that pace within a home setting would be extremely difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's that's why I find it quite um, amusing for us as home educators when we when a lot of home educators first start, including myself when I first started, we do reach for that conformity and that um, rigidity and that structure of a school environment mm. to try and replicate that at home, thinking it will be easier. And actually, it's the complete opposite because we're not a teacher, even if even if we're qualified teachers, mm. we're not our child's teacher. Mm. Um, you know, children don't tend to listen to their parents the same as they do <laughs> in authority. Um, I mean, even I wonder with a, I think it was even more, it makes you feel like you're going to go through this and you have the sense of accomplishment. Mm. I've done this chunk on this topic, this chunk on this topic. I can almost like put a, even a mental checkbox in my head that this has been done. Yeah. So I kind of reached to it as a reassurance. Um, Absolutely. But then, as I said, I had a headstrong one that was like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Uh, and, and then to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a tough one. And, you know, for for the parents listening that are struggling with these things that do have children that you know i'll take one of the examples um we've we've got the online lessons one here um mm. the parent was talking about how you know they've signed the child up to online lessons they do go to the lessons but they don't engage they don't take notes and if you ask the child about it they say they didn't learn anything um now for me my um my first port of call there is okay clearly this isn't working for both mm. of you so yeah. what can we do differently i mean you see i find it interesting the idea that it's almost the flip side the idea that it could work because i'm working from home and we do a lot of remote meetings and things which is going to be similar to a lesson and i find myself drifting I find it difficult to maintain my attention sitting in front of a screen like this. Um, Absolutely. So I don't know how a child would not struggle. I mean, I can see that it works for some. Yes. But I can also clearly see how it would be difficult for a lot of kids. And then without having that personal connection with the teacher, even if it's an online live lesson, but you don't have the eye contact and things to know when to make the notes when they most kids have not actually been taught how to take notes. Yep. They don't know what's important. Absolutely. And we're not we're not in the UK. We're not taught how to take notes. We're not taught how to revise notes. Um, it, it's something that has always fascinated me since I was in school. I kept on saying, and I've repeated this with my um, my child who's just finishing GCSEs. Um, I remember myself saying to the teacher, how am I supposed to take notes when no one's explained how to take notes? Um, how am I supposed to revise when I haven't been taught the revision techniques? Mm. Um, and my daughter has done exactly the same thing. It's how, how am I supposed to take notes? And, you know, exactly the same conversations with teachers 
um, 30 years later, um, 20 years later, 25 years later, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it is, it is fascinating, but also like, I do understand for some parents, they, um, they might be in a position where they didn't necessarily choose to home ed. Mm. It's a last resort and their child needs to be doing something and they might be working and, and the child needs to be occupied. I, it's really tough to find the rhythm and, and the methods that work best for your family, right? No, I completely agree. And it's like, there's so many parents now completely dumped into it almost against their will by how the system works and then you don't the kids are not only not taught how to do notes and things they're also not taught how to do independent learning yes so when you have a six seven eight year old and you're kind of used to and it is part of your life how engaged in their life you are you can start working on it but when you're suddenly working with a 13 14 year old and even the idea that we're often coming from in home ed with a, oh, they just, how about exploring a topic of interest? But you're talking about the child that's been spoon fed for their entire life. Yes. So it's a huge jump for them, possibly with the parent obviously busy because they've been surprised by this, um, needing them to guide them into self-directed learning, which is a huge skill that really people don't practice, don't get taught it here till postgraduate degrees yes yeah we're not we're not taught independent learning or um encouraged to have intrinsic motivation until um university here i think i found it even because i've got done my both my university well i've done university in poland too but i've done finished like did a degree in here and did one and then did my postgraduate degree here and i didn't really find the stimulation, then the dropping of the spoon feeding. Until really my postgraduate degree properly, even in my third year of my undergrad, I was still being given things, given what articles to read it, how to process it. So I guess what we're saying then is there is a massive um, situation where our expectation of our children is completely at odds with their abilities. Mm. Um, even more deeply than we thought. So we're going, okay, the first few weeks were great and now they won't sit down and do any work. Um, you know, the online lessons, they're going to that, but they're not engaging in it. But but actually we're expecting them to engage in it um, when they don't necessarily have the ability to engage in it. Mm. So I it's at odds with each self, yeah. Yeah, and then the additional problem is if those online lessons are, let's say, still following a curriculum, but the child that came out of the school absolutely hated English or maths, and they're still going back to needing to follow the English and maths, but then do it more on their own volition. Yeah. You're almost compounding the problems here. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's any easy answers to this. I think it's just possibly understanding that it will take months to actually find the rhythm for things to work. Absolutely. Um, I do have a few easy answers for this. Okay. I'm not going to lie. Um, my first answer <laughs> to help my child won't do anything is um, ask yourself what it is you're asking them to do. Mm. 
Um, so a word that came up lots throughout the question, uh, throughout the responses to my question on group was I can't get them to do any work. Um, so this word work needs banning from the home ed community um, <laughs> simply because it has these connotations of a child sat at a desk. If I say, you know, my child has been doing has been working on something, people will immediately envisage in their own head that they're sat at a table or they're um, crouched over a book or something like that. Mm. Um, and often when I say my child's been working on it's um, it's involved no pe pens or paper whatsoever. Um, a huge 90% of the stuff that we do in our home education is conversational. So, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're very rarely involves this um, schooled view of what work is. Um, so I would say my first question to a parent who is saying, help, I can't get my child to do anything, is what is it that you're asking them to do? Mm. is it something that could easily be construed as schoolwork yeah uh, if it is I would suggest looking at other ways that you might be able to engage your child in learning yeah and I think I, I definitely agree and there's this aspect of does it have to come from you yes is it, uh, I want my child to do this particular thing, even if it's something that they're interested in. There is this feeling of the impulse in this particular moment coming from the parent. And it's like, well, my child wants to watch TikToks and I want them to learn uh, about makeup. And they don't want to learn about makeup, even though they like makeup. Yeah. Uh, but if your child in this particular moment is not interested in makeup, they're not going to drop what they're doing to go do what you want them to do because that's not how human brains work. Yes. Um, yeah, this, this is really interesting because we had we had another um, response, which I, I found really, really interesting. The mum was talking about how they follow their child's lead with topics. Um, you know, the child will choose a topic mm. and the parent will then... Um, invest in making their own resources to make sure that it's better tailored to their child and their needs um, and then mum will kind of present this to the child and the child will refuse to do any of it curl up in a ball and have a meltdown oh I know it's really it's it's heartbreaking to to hear and it's heartbreaking for mum because yeah. so you know, much effort yes yeah, so much effort she's she's putting all of this effort into a topic the child has asked to learn about um and then child is not able to engage in in that in mm. learning in that way um that's... and that's really tough yeah and we've had that yeah uh, and i think it's very much a case of overwhelm i mean i could tell you um i'd love to go on a safari trip it sounds absolutely amazing but then I start looking into all the details, all the organization, all the bits and pieces. And it gets so much that I'm just shutting down and the idea is completely dead in the water. Yes. Regardless of money, obviously. Um, and I think it, it's a bit of a similar thing. You say to a kid, oh, I see you're interested in marine animals. What do you think? Should we learn about this? And they're like, oh, yes. Thinking, oh, yeah, I want to see more pictures of sharks. Um, 
And what they get instead is sharks with different label names and then octopuses and then something things. And possibly how do you do marine biology um, and how do you recognize different species of fish where they wanted to watch an episode of octonauts? Yes. Um, yeah. I think there might be over-enthusiasm on our parental part at points. Absolutely. This is, oh, it's it's a beautiful one because uh, I I actually wrote a blog post about it a little while ago, um, where we are us parents are our own worst enemy when it comes to our child telling us anything they're interested in when we're home edders, <laughs> um, and we have to pull ourselves back and just bite our own lip and sit on our own hands, um, you know, because. What happens, and I use an example of my my boys were interested in um, learning something about space or the International Space Station or something. And despite being essentially um, child-led, autonomous home educators Mm. for nearly 10 years, I decided in a moment of enthusiasm that I would go on Twinkle, which I don't use, um, (laughs) go on Twinkle and download their entire virtual um work book um and I spent that evening cutting out all of the little pieces and I put it all on the wall and the boys came down and were like what is that (laughs) and I was like oh it's our new topic we're gonna we're gonna learn all about the international space station they were like yeah no we're not (laughs) um and and what happens is you run the risk of your child not sharing anything they're interested in with you because they're terrified that they're going to come down the next morning and you're going to have set up an entire project for the next term. Um, well, it also thinking often, it's not going to take a whole term because, you know, it's so interesting. We're going to cover it really fast. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, I think this is why I kind of now revert to when there's any interest to, shall we start with watching some YouTube videos? Yes. Because it's bite-sized pieces, few minutes at a time. And then possibly what we did, I think this week or last week, he was interested in sharks. And I wanted to do some kind of physical worksheety because that's easier for like doing word searches and types of things activity so I just showed him a few pages in the Google search with a would you like to do this activity and the ones that he said he's interested in we printed out and it was maybe like five sheets in total with a we can do them over a week we did them in a day yeah but but he was engaged throughout the whole process while I was making it small chunks for him and it no long waits no long waits that's really key is, you know, run with something in a small way that your child can expand on if they want to. Mm, um, you know, so interest in sharks, um, you know, would, shall we watch a film on sharks, you know, or shall we go to, to the aquarium tomorrow? Or, you know, something that's very short term. Um mm. Because the minute we start planning it out for two or three weeks in advance and let's do this over time, um, you don't necessarily know that you're going to be able to engage in that activity over a period of time. It might, you know, children flit in and out of their mm. interests 
especially if they're allowed to fully uh, immerse into that interest for a for for an amount of time, they will either immerse in it fully and just that will be it for the next however long, or they'll immerse in it. They'll go, okay, I've got what I needed out of that, and then disappear off again. Mm. And you can come back to it, right? Yeah. And we do come back to things. It's just not on my timetable. It's on his timetable. Yes. Yes. And if I try doing it on my timetable, even if I, let's say, pick out on what time frames work for him, if I try to make it my own thing, he's not going to engage. If I just leave it to him with being open to, okay, so today you'd like to do this and possibly having a worksheet or whatever else, any other resource ready, but single one for the next time he's interested in. That can work. But then coming back to him with a, I've got this amazing activity box and we've got an activity box about space lying around for a month because it's apparently boring. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's brilliant. Um, We've got a few questions as well about um, dealing with the local authority when it comes to um, children who you can't seem to get to do anything. Um, so one one was um, about kind of like how do you prove um, to the local authority and to others that your child is exactly where they need to be? Um, and another one was, um, you know, if the child really is experiencing long-term burnout and trauma and that's affecting their engagement in learning, you know, how do you approach that with dealing with the local authority, for example? Mm. Um, and what I want to say is to, to both of those questions is that um, the entire point of Section 7 of the Education Act is that it very clearly states you need to be ensuring that your child receives an education that is suitable not only to their age but also to their aptitude their ability and to any special educational needs Mm. and what that tells us is that this question about you know how do I prove that my child is where they need to be Mm. well you prove that by providing an education that is individualized to the child you've got in front of you yeah and i think go on i think there's also an aspect of a bit of a possibly uk obsession with where kids should be because you start school here really early and you'll have even professionals telling parents oh your child is behind because they're five and they're not writing and Actually, a lot of all over the world, a lot of five-year-olds doesn't even attempt to write. They don't try to write till they're seven. Yes. And if you look at like, I think one of my favorite things is looking at like the posts with X-rays of hands of children of different ages. And when you look at that hand, that's not a hand that's meant to write. That's a hand that's meant to be working with play-doh because the bones are not there; they're all not solid. Um. So it's almost like giving up on a lot, like obviously not in a, if you think there might be something wrong, but overall just giving up on the idea of there is somewhere they're meant to be. Absolutely. Um, When it comes to the local authority as well, the local authority should not be comparing the child to school-based standards. 
um they should be comparing the child to the child um they should be comparing information that they know about the child and then in new information that comes in for them to understand the child's journey and that they are making their own kind of progress um so you know there there is this idea and there is this obsession in in the UK with um you know stages and um, you know, that if a child isn't doing something or other by this age, then, you know, it's going to be disastrous for the rest of their life and all of these yeah. kinds of things. Um, and I just want to reassure people, really, that, you know, my my eldest child is um, now 20. And when that child was three, um, we were told that they would likely need significant support for most of their life. By the time they were about six, I was told that they probably wouldn't be independent, um, which is fascinating to me. I'm it was devastating, sad. devastating at the time. Um, yeah. And by the time they were 11, I took them out of secondary school and we unschooled. They just mm. followed their own interests. They They did what children do when they're able and allowed to, which is to play and explore and find out about the world and find out about themselves. Mm. Um, and she did that really, really well. <laughs> um, and she is now 20. She lives away from home. She has a job. Um, she was at university. She's just left. Um, you know, she had an amazing experience of two years at university. Um, and again, the idea of university was to explore the subject that she was most interested in mm. um, and to gain more in insight and understanding and training from that. Whether or not she came out with a degree was a different matter. Um, but it gave her a lot of opportunities that she wouldn't have otherwise had. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's, she's 20 off living her own life, um, adulting in all of the ways that we all have to adult when we don't live with our parents. Um, and this was a child that was written off at age three. And that's just so depressing, isn't it? Like, yeah. just making decisions and comments like that about children who are so young. Um, Absolutely. And I think when dealing with the LAs, because... Um, there is an aspect of, I think, what I noticed on the group a few times, parents worried about the child, how do they write the child is doing work at year seven or year eight. And I think there is value in being a bit more vague at points. Absolutely. Not in a, that you're saying something that completely doesn't make any sense or doesn't have any content. But instead of saying, my child is doing work of year eight, you could say, my child is working on this particular skills or this particular topics, which then allows you to move on to, and they make progress like this without needing to put it as a, and now they're working on, work, a year, on, on year nine work. I wouldn't even know what year my children are in um, if they went to school. Um, <laughs> and it's one of the things that I really recommend that parents drop as, as soon as possible when they're, um, if they're not intending for their child to go back to school at any point in the near future, um, I would definitely drop anything about age-related standards and school-based um, language. So things like year groups, age-related age, age -related, um, 
key stage, all of those things, drop it all and just look at the child you've got in front of you yeah. um, and and work work with what you've got. Yeah. And support them in the things they're interested in because um, my wee one is absolutely amazing at maths. Um, but he's not writing and not, not reading, which limits what he can do with maths at the level he's in. Yeah. And then his interest in maths by itself also fluctuates. Um, so I will support him when he wants me to be a living calculator to show him how those equations work and do all that. Um, but if he's not interested, I'm just going to drop it and we're going to move on to something else that he's interested in and just follow his lead with this. And yes, then he still um, makes progress. He'll come back to it months later and suddenly he's doing multiplication out of nowhere. Yes. And this, this, is, this is why it's important to, to recognise that one day in your child's life in home ed is not equivalent to absolutely anything no. other than that day. You have to look, and, and that's one of the reasons that the local authority don't ask for regular information because it, it wouldn't give them any insight into the child um because because the the progress and the the development the development that we see in children over time happens over a long period of time yes and i mean actually it's in any discipline because i'm a statistician rather i'm working as a statistician and whenever someone says they want real-time data so like a data point on something day by day our reaction is very much but it's not going to give you much because one day can be a fluke. Even a week yeah. can be a fluke. You kind of need to work in a timescale that's meaningful and a day or a week is not vaguely meaningful. Like I've had weeks when I'm like, I, I can't be bothered to do anything and you just kind of tick the boxes and get through the day. But not making any progress in anything. So it's just life. You can't be 100% efficient all the time. No. Um, so when it comes to uh, this question about, you know, long term burnout and trauma and mm. it's affecting engagement in learning. Um, again, I would ask what we mean by learning. Mm. Um, and I know it's really frustrating for parents because these are the questions that I ask parents in group as well. I'll say, what do you mean by learning? What do you mean by work? Um and the reason I ask those questions is because everybody has a different level of conditioning around um, what we mean by learning and education and work and, and all of these different words. And we can't just presume that everyone has the same view as, as we do. Mm, very true. So once I know where a parent is coming from, you know, so if if a parent says to me, well, learning to me is that they have um, managed to get something down on paper every day. They've done some English. They've done some maths. They've done some sciences. I, I'm then aware where the parent is at and then I can approach my um, my my questions of, you know, are they, OK, so they're not engaging in that learning. Mm. can we bring it back to literacy instead of english as a subject can we bring it back to um what what kind of sciences are they interested in they don't need to cover the three subjects that you have in school mm. um 
you know, I've got one who is absolutely obsessed with biology. He absolutely loves germs Mm -hmm. and learning all about how things multiply and the different factors that you can create to make bugs do different things. Um, It's a little bit scary, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's something that he, that really fascinates him. Mm. And I've got another one who, absolutely loves um physics Mm. so um just because you've got um you know you've got an an expectation that your child will be doing english maths and science every day it what happens is we tend to then look at those as the academic subjects that you would expect to see in school instead of the everyday skills and um application of those skills that happen through daily interactions. Yeah. And I think especially with like trauma and burnout and severe depression, um, which both trauma and depression can happen to neurotypical kids. Yes. We don't really like to talk about it, but uh, there was a study at some point done, I think in America, that 20% of preschoolers are diagnosable clinically with anxiety and 4% with depression so if it can happen to kids that young it can happen to any kids absolutely um, and I think in those cases the best advice the advice that works best for us is also very difficult because I think you just need to the more completely you can give in to this and stop fighting it and stop saying shall we go out for a walk? Why don't you try this bit of work? And just let them rest and recover. Um, the faster this process is going to go, that healing process, and initially, I think, I find, just takes calm and being contained in your own bubble until you feel ready. And Absolutely. the more you believe it, the faster it happens and the faster they can progress doing more. Yes. Um, One of my favourite films um, is called uh, What Dreams May Come. It's a Robin Williams film. Mm. And um, it's his, he's in heaven and his wife has passed away and um, he's gone to find her and finds out that she is not in the same place as him. And he then goes on a mission to go and find her. And he tries all of these different ways to reach her and he's fighting to get to her. And what he realises, just as he's about to completely lose her, is that the entire problem is that he was fighting to pull her out instead of joining her. Mm. And when he joined her, she was able to feel understood. Yeah. So it's that, you know, it's... (laughs) It's something we as parents are basically told to never do, which is to give in (laughs) to to like, you know, actually just envelop your child in the situation that that they're in right now and don't try and pull them out of it. Just join them there for a little while. Yeah. Um, You know. I mean, funny enough, we had that situation in the school we tried because he was very anxious about joining it. And my husband was doing the drop-offs and he would cuddle the wee one and tell him it's okay to be afraid, he understands. And he'll be here. And then we had the head teacher being very much unimpressed with a, 
or you should tell him it's a positive experience. There's nothing to be scared of. And it almost looks like that cuddle is protecting, taking him away from the school environment. Oh, my goodness. And we're like, no, that, that, that's not how it works. You don't deny someone's feelings. You don't gas, gaslight a five-year-old. Absolutely. And it's just, I think, this mentality that possibly all of us have because we've been brought up in a certain society. But that shift is seismic when you can actually make it and embrace it and be just empathetic and let them be. I think that is the advice to end the podcast on, to be honest, (laughs) is, you know, let them be. Be yeah. with your child. Don't don't gaslight your kid, um, or allow <laughs> other people to. Um, yeah. You know, let them have their emotion. Be able to validate them and understand the situation that they are in. Yeah. Um, so that you can find steps ahead. Of yeah. If they're like this this minute, that means their life is never going to achieve anything. Yeah. Because it's not how it is. Like, if you can't, I don't know, read and write at six or seven, it doesn't mean you're never going to have a degree. Like, that's not how it works. It is not how it works. And there are studies that show, regardless of a child's age, that um, they become proficient in reading and writing. You cannot tell that information um, by the time they're adults. Yeah, I think I've even seen something more interesting that later readers become like high level proficient faster yes. because their understanding is joined by the ability to read so they're not just learning the patterns they're actually learning the meaning absolutely so um i i have some um you know anecdotal evidence of that yeah. in my house um with my youngest who's now 10 um who didn't develop an interest he always had an interest in words um and he would um kind of want to try and work out the puzzle of what they they were he saw them as puzzles and symbols Mm. and you know he was able to um kind of like see shops and recognize that the 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 coloring and the logo and things represented the word that's Um, amazing yeah um and he was maybe 3 or 4 when he did that and then as time went on he started to pick up a few words um he would notice for example the word lucas um lucas mm. film on the end of mm. a film and he would say that's lucas mm. um, so he would he developed um connections uh via sight words um because the words were meaningful to him mm. But it wasn't until he was maybe seven, um, maybe eight, that he actually began reading mm. um, from a, from the perspective of reading books and, and things like that. And, you know, he went from reading very, very simple books to reading Terry Pratchett in within a year. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch. And he still loves to be read to every single night by his dad. Um, yeah. And they're running out of books because he's just read everything in the house. And and most of that is him being read to 
and him being able to enjoy the story instead of, you know, we've never said that he has to sit down and read this page and we'll read the next page or any of that kind of thing. Book reading and anything to do with books has always been for pleasure and for enjoyment, and for learning information that we want to learn about. I, I think you might be slightly better than me with this. I, I do have a bit of a, well, if you learn to read, playing this game would be much easier. <laughs> that's interestingly that's how the other one learnt to read they left school and they couldn't read but within six months they were reading proficiently and um and uh the reason for that was minecraft <laughs> uh, because because he wanted to be independent he wanted to be he didn't want to have to keep asking myself and older siblings to read something mm. so that he could go on to the next thing he wanted to do so you know he kept asking and then he kept remembering what the words were. And eventually we said, would you like us to get some Minecraft cheat books for you? And he was like, yes, please. And he's been reading ever since. Um, I think possibly another thing to appreciate is that English is a terribly difficult language to learn to read in. Because the yeah. letters on the paper often have no resemblance of the words you're reading, like... I think one of the ones that I find my most annoying is things like Worcestershire. It's like, where did you lose half of the letters? <laughs> yep. Um, so like, I genuinely, oh, I genuinely don't understand how so many people across the world have English as the the sort of language that everyone can speak. Yet it's one of the most frustrating and difficult languages obviously i understand that colonial history is is a, a big part in why um but i just i find it fascinating that it's one of the most complex languages and yet so many people continue to use it um as a foreigner um english was I, like because i learned to read in polish and polish is very much what the sound is this is the letter uh there's maybe three or four exceptions to this and then the, the exceptions follow rules but because i figured out the principles in of reading in polish translating it into english then was easy because ah. i knew the mechanism how it works and then i just applied it to english and then the pronunciations were perfect but the pattern is there and then nice your grammar to some extent is significantly easier because you don't have multiple forms of nouns and adjectives and verbs to combine together to form sentences. Um, so there is a, on a, just being able to communicate, there's an amazing simplicity to English, especially if it's not, you know, writing essays or sounding like a native speaker. But on the just hi, how are you? Can I have a can I have a cup of coffee? Um, there is a very appealing simplicity to that part. Master in yeah. English, you're very right. That takes ages, and that is a step that many people don't really get to. Wherever they come from, yes, yeah. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is a lot. There is a lot of people who um, speak English and um still don't have a grasp on it um because you know it's it's complex so 
I absolutely love uh, whenever I whenever I get to speak to people who English is not their first language or not their native language. I absolutely am so in awe and want to understand how they learn English and how different it is to their native and whether there was any patterns and all of those kinds of things. It, it really, really interests me. So thank you for that, Natalia. You're welcome. I mean, I'm an odd case because I kind of self-taught the basics when I was six. So, so I'm an odd case. Yes, you're an odd case, <laughs> which makes you perfect for Heifer and the admin team. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me. I hope that um, those of you listening, that's given you a bit of an insight into um, home educating with um, a, an autistic child who's PDA, um and you know having those those thoughts and feelings and really kind of um pulling and unpicking apart what we are expecting and um what our child is expecting and and how those might be at odds with each other um but yeah it's it's a tough one um it's not one that has any definitive answers um but I would always start with what is it that you're expecting your child to do and what's your definition of that thing um, so that you can really get to understand what it is you're asking and whether or not that's that's feasible um, at the point your child is at and at the situation and the experiences they've had around learning up to this point. Yeah. <laughs> um Thank you for inviting me, Lan. It's been really interesting. I think the one thing I would add to it is also listen to your child and actually give them space to tell you what is it that works for them. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with that. Um, it's one of the most important things I think we harp on about a lot in Heifer is, okay, but what does your child think? Um because it's their learning, right? It's their experience. Yeah. And even if they're not able to tell us in words, they will tell us in behaviours and in actions and in... Um, ignoring you. Ignoring you or shouting at you, um, you know, or just going off to hide somewhere um, yes. because they know it's that time of day where you do, you know, a worksheet or that's an online lesson. Um, you know, those kinds of things, they they will show you in, you know, their thoughts, their feelings, their behaviours and their actions, whether or not this thing is working. And yeah. you can, the beauty of home ed is that you don't, it doesn't have to be one way. No, you get to change. You get to change and you'll need to change um, as your children change and grow. You have to, you have to catch up with it. Um, so be gentle with yourselves while you navigate that because it is tough. Um, and finally, I'd task everybody listening to do one thing for me, which is to grab a notepad and pen and just for one day, don't make a habit of this, um, just for one day, every time you notice that your child is learning something, is engaging in something, is doing something um don't do this in front of your child but um just note it down and use that explanation for yourself and a reassurance for yourself well hang on a minute 
I feel like they don't do anything, but actually I've noticed all of these things in just 24 hours. Mm. Um, because it, it's, it's kind of essential to recognise that we're getting ourselves stuck in this view that they're not doing anything when actually they are, we're just maybe not noticing. Yeah. Okay. That is it for this week. Um, thank you so much, Natalia, for joining me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. It was lovely. It's really good, right? Yeah. Um, yes. So we will see you next time on Heifer. If you have any questions, any thoughts, and would like to share, do use the Heifer Facebook group. You can also message the Heifer Facebook page or you can use the website. Um, and this podcast is um, has always got feedback available on it as well on Spotify. So if you have any questions or you want to leave any feedback to, to tell us how we're doing, please do that. So until next time, we will see you. Uh, take care. <laughs>